0: Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your help. God, I pray that you would help me be able to speak clearly and that today would be uh, a day that glorifies you. God, I pray for us all as we think about what it means to walk with you, what we, what, as we think about what it means to know truth from error, that you'll help me, Father. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would keep this as much as it's going to feel in an academic field, I pray that you would keep it um, also, God, in a way that, that drives us to Christ, drives us to faith, drives us to want to pursue Jesus in our life. Praisings praise things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, today, we're in 1 John 4, 1-6, through 6, and, and you just need to know, um, I'm going to do my best to keep it from the academic feel, but this text is just an academic-feeling text. But, um, there are some good applications that we can draw from, uh, no doubt, about Three, four months ago, I was sitting in Starbucks, and I'm reading my Bible and drinking some coffee, etc., waiting for somebody to come there. And I'm just reading, and this guy comes up, and he sees me reading my Bible. And so he starts talking to me about the Bible that I'm reading. And he goes, hey, you know, what are you reading there? And I was like, yeah, it's the Bible. And so he starts telling me some stuff like, hey, have you ever thought about re- reading this verse or what about this verse? And he starts trying to, I, what it seems like, convert me. And so um, I noticed that he had some friends with him at another table, and he, he was the younger one, and he just came over, and since I look like I'm 15, I guess I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm an easy convert for him. <clears throat> now clearly, after about a little bit, I say, okay, these guys are Mormons, and they're, they're ready to convert me. And so he starts, he didn't know he was you know, going to start talking to a pastor, and he's one of the young guys. So I just let him kind of play it for a little bit. So he starts telling me some stuff, and trying to convert me, and things like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me talk to you a little bit about, about Jesus. We can talk about Jesus, that's great. And so I start showing him some stuff that's blowing his mind, because in the Mormon faith they, kind of, they believe that Jesus became God, but not that he has always eternally been God. It's, it's a revisited um, Arianism. Uh, anyway, so that's just that means nothing to y'all, but anyway, so they don't believe that, that he has always been God eternally past, but that he's going to be eternally God in the future, and that um, he kind of came and because he died on the cross, he earned the right to become the, the son of God and the child of God and the savior of the world and, and, and all these kind of things. So I am start showing him, you know, in his own text, they're like, oh, hey, let's look in your Bible. I'll show you some verses and let's just start talking about what it looks like um, and, and what it means that Jesus has always been God and what that looks like. And so I'm, I'm, there's, some, there's some really good texts in Revelation that I'm showing him and all of a sudden um. The, the guys that are with him, they're kind of you know, they're they're looking over there at him every once in a while and they hear, you know, the whole conversation and all of a sudden one of them comes over to him and it's it's like the CIA or something. Hey, we need to go, we got to so they just drag him out of there really fast and I'm like, Oh well, let's talk some more and so they, they run out of there. Um the reason why I tell you that is because um in this that we're gonna see some things about uh John's warnings about people that are in this time, two thousand years ago, but they're they're here now, where they're going, to t- they're going to talk about Jesus in a way that's going to make you think they're telling the truth. Now, we're going to talk about false teachers, and we're not going to talk about false teachers where it's just blatantly, like, we hate Jesus, and Jesus is wrong, and we believe in, you know, XYZ religion that's not Christian. This is going to be a little bit more distinct. This is people who, who sound like Christians. They, they, they talk like Christians. But in the end, if you start driving down deeper, specifically on the person of Jesus... You can see that they're not. So that's what that's what John's kind of warning them about. Um, what happened here in First in First John, uh, just kind of give you a little bit of review. Uh, John had gone and um, preached to these guys. He had been a friend of them, and then they needed to hear uh, from him. So he's writing to them and he's telling them, "All right." In First John, let me just show it to you. In First John five fourteen. Uh, I'm sorry, 13, it says, I write these things to you that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So he's telling us in, in 5.13, this is why I'm, why I'm writing. He wants them to know that they can have assurance in their salvation. So over the course of this letter, as John's writing to them, um, he's combating some of these people. Some of the, there's some people in this, this group who had kind of risen up um, and started, and this happens in everywhere, but they started preaching incorrect doctrine. And so John's writing this letter saying, alright, listen, you can know you can know that you have Christ, you can know who Christ Jesus really is, and here's some things that you can know. And he gives them three kind of tests, and we're going to be looking at the third one today. The first test he gives them is righteousness versus unrighteousness. If you want to know that you're in Christ, then there should be... A, 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 a disposition in your life that wants to submit to the commandments of God and there is, there is righteousness in your life. You're not just willingly running around and committing sin everywhere. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that your life should just be covered with a love for your fellow man. It's not like you just kind of, some days you love them, some days you hate them, whatever. It's, there's, there's a predominant theme in my life which is, because God has loved me, I'm going to love other people. Those two things show us that we're in Christ. If we have a lot of sin in our life, that's going to show we're not really in Christ. If we have no love for others, then that's going to show that we're not really in Christ. Or at least give us warning or pause to self-reflect and see whether we are. And then the third truth is one we're going to look at today. is, or The third test is truth. And what we mean by this is that there are some specific things that we as Christians need to believe. There's, there's basic tenets of the Christian faith that we have to believe in order to be Christian. Um, and there's going to be some people, and, and this is what's going on here, who say they're Christians, but they're, they're not really. And, and John's already kind of addressed them once. Um, and I, if you want to, you can look over with me in 2.18, and we can just see how John feels about them. In 2.18 it says, Children, it's the last hour, and, I've already, and you've heard that Antichrist is coming, and so now many Antichrists have come. And so how John feels about these people, that these false teachers that are distorting the truth of Jesus um, is that he calls them the Antichrist. Um, he said they're Antichrists. They're absolutely false teachers. And then we've already unpacked this whole section here. Um, but in 2.18 through basically uh, 2.28, 2.27, uh, he unpacks what it means to, uh, to understand truth and that these people that are speaking incorrect truth at this time are the antichrists or their false teachers um and and 219 says they were with us for one one time for a little while but these antichrists finally their heresy became so evident to us that they went out from us and they went out from us so that it might become plain to us who are still here that they aren't of us that they are false teachers that they are antichrists and so whenever we're involved in church and we're wanting to know, am I a Christian? Am I really in the faith? And, and 5.13 wants to let us know that we can have assurance. We, we test our lives by righteousness. We test our lives by love. But we also test our lives by truth. And if we find ourselves walking away because there's certain things that we don't want to hold on to, well, then we're first we're John 2.19. We're proving that we were never in the faith. We're proving that we were, we were never in the church. And that's where we are today. Now, um, one, one thing we need to see is, uh, I, I kind of pointed this out last week, is John finally has called the Holy Spirit by name. He, he mentions him in, in over in chapter 2 when he talks about, about the anointing. Now in, in 3.24, um, he actually mentions him by name. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John has now mentioned the Holy Spirit to us by name. All right, and so we're understanding. Right, we're about to go into a section on truth. We're going to uh, this section on this third test of truth, and I've just mentioned the Holy Spirit in 324, big, huge red flag on how you can understand and know who truth is. And if you flip over to John's gospel in 14, chapter 14 and 16, he tells us some of the things the Holy Spirit does, one of them, which is he leads us into truth. He leads us into truth. So we know that the Holy Spirit's huge here in being able to know what truth is, know what the right things we're supposed to believe and, and the things that... That we can't have now. Here's a danger that we can that we can find ourselves in. There's there's kind of two little dangers here um, that happens, and th- it's this. There's some people who um, they become Christians and they're really not into this thing truth. They're not really into it. They're just kind of like you know I'm into the experience. I don't really want to have the the doctrine and the definitions and the the preciseness of language and theology. I'm just into the experience I have with the spirit um, and and that's all I want. And then there's other people and and the danger going down that is just the emotionalism of everything. But the other side, which may be more like us, like Remini, if we're just honest, um, which is we have to have precision. Everything, and and I agree with this, but only that's all we need is precision and doctrine and we need to have definition and clarity and everything needs to be right and, and the danger on this is intellectualism and so we don't need to try to dichotomize the two like we, it's either one or the other we need to try to bring them both together we absolutely need clarity on theology we need to know truth but there needs to be also um a reliance on the spirit and where we we are experiencing christ we're not Running down the trail of dead intellectualism, but we're also not running down the trail of emotionalism, which doesn't understand who Jesus is. We want to combine the two. And that's the danger in, in any kind of circle, depending on where we are. And I think for remedy, we're going to err more on the intellectualism side and totally neglect. But as we've talked about, 324 is talking about the Holy Spirit. And Je- Jesus tells us in, 324, in, um, in, in the book of John, He's given us the Holy Spirit because he wants to lead us into truth, but he also, the Holy Spirit's always going to point us to worshiping Jesus. And there needs to be emotional experiences. There needs to be um, involvement in um, the excitement and of knowing who Jesus is. So we don't want to run down either one of those those wrong trails. All right, so now um, let's go into uh, verses 1 through 6. We're going to read it and then we're going to uh, start unpacking it verse by verse. And there's going to be some things I want you to see um, as we do this. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was already was coming and now is in the world already little children you are from god and have overcome them for he who is in the is, is who for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world they are from the world therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them we are from god whoever knows god listens to us whoever is not whoever is not from God, does not listen to this, to us by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. now, as we 're going into this, I just want to talk a little bit about assurance. Um, I, I said John 's writing this letter to us about assurance, and I just want to clarify because I, I say this almost every week as we 're going through first John, um, you need to have assurance, and let me just let me explain to you what I mean by assurance. We're not seeking assurance of our salvation. And, and some of you might not even struggle with assurance. So I need, to, I need for you to hear this. Um, we're not seeking assurance of our salvation because we are seeking escape from hell. That's, that's not the primary reason that I want you to know that you're assured. It's so that you can just be assured, well, thank goodness I'm going to escape hell. I don't want to burn and that just seems terrible and that's a horrible place and I don't want to go there. My, my goal each week... Um, and asking you to seek assurance as we go through First John through righteousness and love and truth is so that you, not that you'll just feel safe from hell, but that you'll feel loved by God. And, and there's a big distinction there. Assurance is not just escape from some kind of torture or punishment assurance that i want you to see is that you're going to feel and know and experience this deep love of christ and and to know this this unbelievable relationship that god is calling us into to have with him that's available to us in christ jesus the assurance is for the sake of relationship not for the sake of escape from punishment and that's huge like you you don't want to miss the fact that God is calling you into a deep, amazing relationship. And so the assurance is because I get to know and be intimate and have an unbelievable relationship with God who created everything. That's why I want you to have assurance. Um... I want you to experience what it means to be, as it says, and remember in, when we were going through 3 1, experience what it means to be a child of God. Whenever 3 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. Like, That's why I want you to have assurances, because I want you to feel and experience what it means to know that you are a son or a daughter of God himself, not because I just want you to feel like you're escaping something that's going to be punishment and torturous. Um, So we're going into this. Now, John, as I've noted throughout here, is, is contrast king. He loves to contrast light and darkness, you know truth and and error and here we're going to see some contrast here he's going to contrast holy spirit versus false spirits he's going to contrast belief versus unbelief and he's also going to contrast truth and error um and as we go through this as i said there's going to be some theological and academic feel but there's going to be application coming and i just want you to kind of stick with me and this application will be a big huge large application for us all um but i think it's good i think it's really good um so So bear with me, and it's not because I wrote it, it's because I'm going to read some guy and he's going to tell you what it is. All right, Um, 4-1. I just didn't want to sound sound boastful. I wrote this great application for you all today. No, I didn't do it. Um, All right, let's look at verse 1 here. It says, Beloved, and again, John... Just showing his pastorly love, you'll see in four in four one it's beloved, and and four four it's little children. It's just all over, like two eighteen children. He's always calling them beloved and children, beloved and children. Just showing how pastorly he is and how much he affectionately loves these people. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. All right, so. The title of this, there's going to be some things I want you to see. The title of this is kind of knowing, uh, discerning and knowing truth from error. And there's some things I want you to see and know out of these verses of what it means to discern and know truth and error. And this is the first one. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So test the spirits. Here's the first thing, is this. Um, Christians must do the work of testing the spirits. Christians must do the work of testing the spirits. And the reason why we want to do that is because we want to see if things we're hearing are from God or not. We need to be able to know whether they're from God. We shouldn't assume whether you go to a conference or whether you go to an event or whether you come here and and hear me um, or any other pastor or whoever. Everything you hear from any person unless it's coming straight from the scriptures, you need to test and see whether it's true. Like right now, everything I say, you shouldn't just believe what I say, even though I'm standing up here with this. Like you, everything I say, every time I say it, you should take it and judge it by the word and see that it's true. And that goes for anybody that's teaching you. Every time, always test everything that's coming by. L- l- let's talk about what it means by the spirits. Um, and, well, let me say this also. Beloved... Beloved, do not believe every spirit. He's speaking to every Christian there. Um, this is a command for all believers, not just the leaders of the church, but every believer needs to take up the responsibility of testing the spirit. You, you can say, well, I'm not equipped. I'm not really able to do that um, well, we're going to get to verse 4 because there's some great news in verse 4. Greater is he who is in you than who is in the world. That's, that's going to be great for you to hear. But let me read a quote to you from Martin Lloyd-Jones as he talks about this, this duty of all people to test the spirits. He says, It is the duty and the business for everyone claiming the name of Christian to be in the position to try and examine and test the spirits. So if any time false teachers or false teachings are coming towards you, Every person in this room, if you are a Christian, is under the duty and the command of being able to test what you're hearing and see if it's according to the Scriptures, but not just depending on other people to do that for you. You are under the command of God. So the first thing is that all Christians must do the work of testing the Spirit. Um, Now the context in this letter are the Gnostics, uh, and basically... Um, the Gnostics did not believe in the humanity of jesus they didn 't believe that he was one hundred percent human um, it 's kind of a weird thing uh, but they believed that the divine uh, jesus um, the divine Jesus ascended onto onto Jesus at his baptism so he was he was somewhat human but then this this divine jesus d- descended on him at his baptism and then the divine jesus and the human jesus kind of lived together and then right before the cross the divine jesus kind of ascended off of him and he this humanity jesus went through (laughs) the cross the rest of the time and so john hears this and he's like that's absolutely wrong um that's not true at all why would he tell us why would he tell us that we need to be able to test the spirits why would he say this is something you need to know like you have to be able to do this uh Listen to this quote. This was 500 years ago from a guy named Calvin. He said, For it is the case perpetually with the gospel. That means every time the gospel reaches into another people group or an unreached place, and then people get converted, and then people start becoming Christians, and churches get set up, and and things start happening. It is the case perpetually with the gospel that as soon as something like that happens, Satan attempts to pollute and corrupt its purity by a variety of errors. This our age has brought forth some horrible and monstrous sects, that they shun the light of truth and cast themselves into darkness of errors listen to this from the time the gospel began to be preached false prophets immediately appeared so everywhere the gospel is preached immediately when there's converts false prophets emerge and start trying to cloud or change what is true they're all over the place. from 2,000 years ago to now, they're all over the place. So we need to be able to uh, test the spirits. We need to be able to read the scriptures and as we hear things and see that things are true. So what is this spirits? What does this word "spirits" mean? Um, in short, what we mean is the teachings of the spirits. It means to test the teachings of the spirits, um, not necessarily the act. Uh, we want to test the Spirit itself, the teaching itself, not the act of the Spirit. Because demonic spirits can sometimes do miraculous things. And so if we just test the act, oh, well, there's, a, there's a miraculous thing, it must be from God. Well, that's not, that's not a good idea. We don't want to test the acts it's doing. We want to test the teaching or the Spirit itself and see whether it's from God. How can we do this? And I'm going to, I think there's two ways we can do this. Um, and one's very obvious, I've already been saying it the whole time is that everything we hear, we measure everything that is being said to us by the Word of God. We measure everything that's being said to us by the Word of God. 3.24 tells us we have the Holy Spirit inside of us now. And since we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to take what's being said... And compare it to the Word of God. People who are, not in Christ, who are not in Christ don't have the ability that we have. People who are not in Christ don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. So when they read the Bible, it's kind of like the peanuts, uh, the peanuts teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't have insight. It's just. But when we read it, like, we have insight. Okay, I see what's being said here. It's not some kind of weirdness. I understand what it is. So when we hear teachings, we're able to discern, okay, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to go into here, and I'm going to look at this. 1 Peter one twenty one tells us that as this book was written, the, the writers were being carried along by the Holy Spirit as they read. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is god breathed. So this book, though it was written by man, was written by God Himself. And so this book is absolutely true. And we can test everything that's being said to us by this book. So that's the first thing, is that we, we measure everything being said to us by the Word of God. The next thing is this that as we're having conversation with this person and we show them in the scriptures, if they say something incorrect and we're like, okay, I'm discerning that's not correct, let me show you in the Word of God how that doesn't measure up. The second way we can test the Spirit or we can see that they're from is when they hear the Word, when they see what they've said is wrong, that they conform their life to what it says. That's a mark of a true teacher. When the truth of Scripture confronts their wrong theology or their wrong thoughts or their wrong teachings. They change according to what this says and they don't try to just stick what they say and try to distort what the, what the Word of God says. So those are two things we can say. So what does this mean for us in 2010? What does all this mean for us right now in 2010? Um, as I mentioned before, there, there are Mormons who distort the person of Jesus and Jehovah's Witnesses who distort the person of Jesus. There's even um, Buddhists who are not claiming to be Christian who will say, yeah, Jesus is God now, um, who don't understand who Jesus is. Um, What are some other things? Uh, Liberal theologians who don't understand um, all the correct things that we need to believe about Jesus. I made a little list here of some things I think that we need to be able to believe Um, Some things that we need to hold to as true in order to actually be a Christian. We're talking about truth. What are things I actually need to believe to be true in order to be a Christian? These are some of the things I have here. Doctrinally things that we must hold in order to be a Christian. First is that faith in Jesus alone for salvation. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's not, it's not that there's this big mountain and on the top is heaven or God and that you can take any path up there and Jesus is one path, but so is Mormonism, so is Islam, so is whatever. It's not its not like pluralistic. It's There's only one way to the top. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the Father and that's through Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is a way and not the way, then you can't be a Christian. That goes clearly against the teachings of Scripture. Um, another one is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to believe in the resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, we're still in our sins and our whole life is futile. So we have to believe in the real resurrection. We can't just say, well, you know, resurrection, take it, leave it, I don't I'm whatever. We have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, we have to believe in the deity of Christ. And that means that he was God, that he was 100% God, um, because we have to believe that he was sinless. We have to believe that he was absolutely sinless, that he never sinned, um, and that we are completely sinful, and that because he was sinless, that he was the perfect sacrifice for us. And kind of on the flip side of that, we also have to hold to the humanity of Christ, the 100% fact that he was 100% human, that um, he had to take on of that which he was going to save. Jesus had to become a human to save humans he couldn't become a cow to save humans he had to become a human to save human book of hebrews says that to us Um, and that he was um born of a virgin i believe that that's something we have to hold to some people say that's that's up in the air but if he wasn't born of a virgin then he was born with a corrupt human nature and he we know that he couldn't be born of a corrupt human nature um The last one I would say is that we have to believe in what's called... This is kind of a big word, but I'll explain it all. Penal substitutionary atonement. Penal is that um, there was a a decree of God that we were going to be penalized. There there um, There was an impending judgment upon us, and Jesus took that for us. Substitutionary is that He stood in our place, and the atonement is that God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus. We have to believe that His work on the cross was all those things... For us if we, if we don't believe those things like yeah you know he could have done the cross but he could have just decided to save everybody it wasn't really for everybody or it wasn't for our behalf um, we have to believe certain things about his work on the cross or we're not a christian um so these are doctrinally things that we have to hold in order to be a christian now what does that mean for us in 2010 in the south what does that mean for us here right now In Rock Hill, where you eat and work and play and do life with your family and all these kind of things. This is what I think it means. Um, We have a battle on our hands for truth. There's a battle for truth. I mean, honestly, in evangelism, it is very difficult today to try to share Christ with people because it seems like everyone is skeptical Everyone is, is skeptical of the word, everyone is skeptical of, uh, of our intentions, everyone is skeptical of everything. So we have a battle on our hands now And the way we truth, we speak, in the way we, we tell people truth. So we have to be extra precise, we have to do even more harder work for truth, we have to pray even harder these days. We have to ask that God would grant us words of truth that will land on hearts and that people would be receptive, and we have to pray for their hearts before we speak to them. God, let their heart be receptive to the things I'm going to say. That's what it means for us in evangelism, here in Rock Hill in 2010, because people are skeptical, they don't believe truth, and we have to do a lot of work to try to explain to them the Scriptures. We're commanded in this, in this text to be able to test the spirits, but we're also, I think, commanded to be able to give an account um, it tells us in first Peter three I think it 's fifteen um, that we need to be always be prepared to give an account for the, for the hope that we have, so we need to be able to be prepared in order to speak the gospel to people um, here 's the bottom line I think this is the bottom line what I was as I said, I had that, that conversation in Starbucks, there was another time where I was at the grocery store and um, I was packing my car with groceries, and this lady came up to me and started handing me these, these watchtower magazines. And I was like, all right, here we go. This is going to be great. I love this. Um, this is the, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and so she started handing me stuff. And it, basically, the, the idea is they don't believe in, in the fact that Jesus was eternally God's son and that only 144,000 get to go to heaven and that um, the only way that you can actually kind of be saved or achieve salvation is by, by good works, and the salvation you achieve would just be here on Earth, you don't even get to go to heaven, and so I, I kind of knew some of those things. And so she's handing out these things, and I saw a Watchtower. I was like, "All right, here we go. This is going to be fun." So I start saying, "All right, let's talk about Jesus. H- here's the bottom line: Whenever you, whenever you want to have a conversation with anybody who, and it's so so distinct because um, there are there are sects or cults who say that they love Jesus, but they distort it. They have it completely wrong on just a little bit. The bottom line question: The way to, to narrow it down, not talk about whether you know." Jesus and Satan were brothers and, and all these kind of like, don't get caught up in all those things. Just, just narrow it to one thing. One thing. We're going to talk about one thing. Jesus. I don't want to talk about, you know, whether we're going to have our own planet or all these kind of things. We're just going to narrow it down to one thing. Jesus. Who is Jesus? Has, G, did Jesus have a, a starting point? Did Jesus have a created time? Or has he always eternally existed? You just need to narrow it down to that. Don't don't argue about planets or whatever. Just talk about Jesus. If you believe, if, if someone says, I believe Jesus was at one point created, that he had a beginning point, and now he has become, or now that he has achieved his work on the cross, he is God now, they'll say, Yeah, Jesus is God. Okay? That's not what I want to talk about. Tell me more. Has he eternally been God? And did he have a time where he entered into time and the incarnation became human and is always human now? Narrow it down to Jesus. All right, so that's that's the bottom line question. So she starts coming to me and starts, you know, talking about being able to work and hand out magazines and, you know, we can not be a part of the 144 and I don't want to talk about that stuff. I want to talk about Jesus. Do you think Jesus eternally always existed so we got into a little bit of disagreement she wanted to have some more conversation so she brought her elder and so we we talked for a while um the the elder was an african-american and he wanted to talk about uh and he was totally right in this he wanted to talk about how african-americans have been uh, mistreated in america and you know i can't i can't disagree with that of course and i just kind of kept shifting it listen i don't really want to talk about that we can talk about that later but right now there's one primary thing we need to talk about jesus and so i just kept pointing kept pushing and kept pushing and we finally got down to the point is this he said i believe jesus was created and i said i don't believe jesus was created there's our distinction if we can i'm not going to budge on that you need to know i'm not going to change on the fact that i don't think i think jesus was god always are you going to change i'm not going to change well if i show you in the scriptures that he always always has been god are you going to change i'm not going to change because I showed him in the scriptures, here's verses that say, "Where I'm God, and I've always been God, and I'm not changing." Well, then we can't have a conversation anymore. I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to pray that that God, and I, I mean, I told him, I'm going to pray that God will take off the scales of your eyes and let you see who Christ truly is. Narrow it down to Christ. You need to talk about Jesus and not not the other things that they want to talk about. So that's that's the first one: is that we need to be able to have. Um, the desire in us, we, we need to do the work of testing the spirits. And it's difficult sometimes. But if you can just, let's just talk about one thing and Jesus and Him being eternally God and being man forever. Let's just talk about that. Do you believe those things? That, that'll that narrow the stuff and you won't talk about you know secondary and tertiary arguments after that. Alright, so let's go down over to 2 through 4. Um, By this you know the Spirit of God that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, you need to probably underline that and memorize that, because that is huge for you. If you feel ill-equipped to be able to talk about Jesus with people, if you feel ill-equipped to be able to test the spirits, I can't do that. Well, um, greater is he in you than who is in the world. Satan is in the world and has rule and dominion. And he does not have rule and dominion over you. Jesus is in you and he is greater. So you have the ability by the power of the Spirit to be able to do it. Praise God. Because none of us us would have the ability without God. Um, So let's look at two. Let's look at two. This is the point here. The ability to know and discern truth comes from God in you. The ability to know and discern truth comes from God in you. Greater than... uh, Let me read it again. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So the reason why we have the ability to do this is because God is in us. Um, let me switch over to four here. All right, let's go over to two. Let's go to verse two. Let's start, let's start there. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Here's what 2 and 3 are going to help us see with 4. Um, 4 tells us that we have God in us, and it's not of ourselves that we're able to to be able to do anything. It's because God is in us. 2 and 3 is explaining why. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. All right, let's, let's look at this word confess and understand what it means here. All right, confess, because that's really easy to do um, if... If one of my children has harmed the other one, and I say, uh, you hurt their feelings or you hurt them, I want you to go apologize. They can walk up to them and with with no emotion and no real contrition say, I'm sorry, and then they can walk away. So this confession, does not it's not necessarily the words as much that we're talking about in this confession. So when we hear um, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come, that doesn't necessarily mean it's with real contrition. Let's look at verse 1-9. 1-9, it says this. If we, same word, confess, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now here, this is not just a mere acknowledgement. It's not just going to God and saying, God, I've sinned. Kind of like, you know, whenever we say, forgive me, like my child would do to another. This is showing a real heartfelt, um, Contrition. There is a real sadness of the fact that something has happened. There is real emotion. There is real um, emotion behind what they're saying. Like, I believe this. This is true. And I, I mean it. It's not just words. And so that's what we're talking about when we, hear, when we see this here in 2. By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ... So we're talking about someone who's not just kind of saying words to say the words but there's real emotion there's real belief behind this word confession that they believe that jesus is the son of god so the ability to know and do this is because we have the spirit in us the ability to know and discern comes from god Um, let's look at one other thing in verse two it says this by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh this has come is a verb in what's called the perfect tense. And that means that Jesus has come now um, and he is always going to be. He came as a human 2,000 years ago and was born. And this has come means that since he has come, he has always existed and now he has come. He, he wasn't created or born, he has come to us. Therefore, he is existing before he became a human and also, he has come, like he's here now, and he's always going to be human. Did you realize that in heaven right now, Jesus is human? He's always going to be human for the rest of his life. He, he became human at the incarnation and will always be human like us. Um, but he's also 100% God. And then it says in three, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So... Those who do not confess with real belief that Jesus is not from God, they're the Antichrist. So there's, there's really two camps. It's not like a third or a fourth or a fifth. It's those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and those who don't. Those who do are in God. Those who don't are demonic Antichrists, is what verse 3 is saying. Um, let's go to verse 4. I'm sorry, 5. Verse 5. I need to keep moving here. Um. They are from the world. Notice the, uh, the pronoun here. This is, this is kind of moving away from verse 4 where it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than who is in the world. Now we're talking about they. Those people, those antichrists, those false teachers. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. Alright, so here's the third thing. There are false teachers... In our lives. There are going to be false teachers. There are false teachers. Heretics and false prophets. Which desire to lead you astray. At any moment. There are are, um, false prophets. Throughout your life. And their one desire. Because they are from Satan. Is to lead you astray. Let's look at a couple things. That that, um, John talks about. In verse 1. He says that there are many false prophets. In the world. In verse 3. He says that there have the spirit of the antichrist. And here, in verse 5, he says that they're from the world, they speak of the world, Um, they think like the world, they talk like the world. Whenever I was uh, a freshman at USC, um, this was something that kind of happened for me. Uh, I I remember being in class in English 101, and we're we're talking about subjects, about stuff, and um, we were talking about abortion. And I remember saying, abortion's wrong, it's murder, and people looking at me like, are you crazy? Um, and I just remember thinking, like, I was, I was fresh out of high school, completely naive. I'd spent my whole life really kind of in this, in this crowd of youth group and in a big bubble and never experienced, like, people who disagreed with me and, and such, you know, with such vigor. And I remember sitting in, in English 101, um, just as we were discussing things, saying, yeah, of course it is. Well, you don't believe that? And they're like, no, it's a choice. And I just remember being so confused at, I don't remember, I, I was 17, so confused, like, how, how is this happening? I don't understand why this is going on. It, it seems like this would just be so obvious. But they're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. Like, whenever they speak these false things, they, the rest of the world's like, that makes so much sense. That makes total truth. That, that, I understand what you're saying. And we kind of stand on the sidelines saying, that, that confuses me thoroughly. Like, why are you saying that? They don't understand this because they're from the world. So here's the... I think the question for us, um, maybe if we're going to kind of jump into a little bit of application and, and, and press down in our own lives a little bit is, um, if English is a language, a language, then maybe worldish is one. And it's because it says they speak world. They speak from the world and the world listens to them. How much, and I know this isn't a real word, but you know what I'm saying. How much do you speak worldish? How acquainted with you um, are you with the things of the world that you understand and you live so much into it in a way that you believe it. It's not that you, we all need to have discernment to be able to be in the world, to understand how they believe, to be able to share the gospel with them. What I'm wondering is, how much do you think like them and speak like them and not see the truth, not see the lies that they teach, not see the lies that they have in their life? Um, Antichrists speak this this worldish. They speak like the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He rules over the world. Um, and if we're so entrenched in the world, we could be deceived because we don't understand what he's saying. Um, let's keep moving. Let's go down to verse 6. It says this, We are from God. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, by the fact that whether they listen to us or not, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's the fourth thing. True Christians will listen to us. True Christians will listen to us. As we tell the truth, why will they do that? Why will they listen to us? Is because within them there's a deep desire to listen to the God, to know who He is, and to want to obey what He says. Just yesterday, I was having uh, we we had some candy in our house, and my son um, had his candy, and my daughter my daughters had their candy, and they went to the table and they were eating their candy, and I told he's two, and I mean he is just berserk after candy he loves it and i told him aiden you can't have their candy okay i want to eat their candy like okay he 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 agrees with me you can't have it and so they they for some reason leave it on the table and so um he comes up to it and he looks around and i'm watching him he looks around and i said aiden don't take that candy you can't have it okay and he stands there and jc comes in and he kind of looks over at her and sees that I'm not looking. He grabs it and puts it in his mouth. And J.C. freaks out. She, with, she's so angry at him, she grabs his face, and I'm, I'm not making this up, pries open his mouth and takes the candy out of his mouth and goes over to the sink and like washes it off and keeps it, wraps it back up. The face. This is mine. What is it that made Aiden desire that candy so bad? Like I, I told him, I said, Aiden, that's not yours. You can't have it. Don't use it. Don't take it. And he still, whenever no one's around, he grabs it and eats it anyway. He did not have a desire to obey. He has no desire within him to obey. But those who are in the church have this desire to obey. It says, "Whoever know, we are from God, whoever knows God listens to us. Whenever things are said, the reason why they listen is because they have a deep desire within him in them to obey. They're not going to just say, okay, and then do whatever they want. The reason why the church, those who are true believers, listen, is because they have a desire, a deep desire to know truth and to obey Jesus. James Boyce said, Those who are of the world may be distinguished by their response or lack of response to the apostolic teaching. So those who don't know Jesus will not obey. They will not respond. They will not see these things and say, okay, that's true. I'm going to conform my life to it. They say, um, I don't believe that. That's not how I achieve salvation. I don't believe those things that the Bible says. I make my own way. Um, I'm going to choose how I get saved. Or I don't like that, that command. I, I think I would rather do what I want to do rather than obey that. Um, but those who are in Christ, those who are really truly Christians, when, when tr- new truth comes to them, they say, okay, if that's according to the word, and I believe that it's here, I'm going to conform my thoughts to that. I'm not going to just say, no, it's what I want. Or when new commands come to them that they've never heard, or when God says, this is what you need to do, they say, okay, God's speaking to me. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do what I want. Um, let's, let's close with this. Um, I'm going to read a, uh, the last closing paragraph to you of, of, a, of a commentary on this chapter and as we're reading this um, there, there's an application in here and, and this isn't like a a real specific application it's not like so therefore walk out of the door and talk to the third person that you see today it's not it's not real specific it's, it's a general application but I think that um, this general application will help and guide and direct us and if we can just get this one application down I think it'll it'll really be helpful this is what it says the tragedy of our time is that we do not have enough men and women to proclaim and defend that doctrine. Um, Speaking of, of what we've read. So the truth is not clearly defined and the way is not clearly illuminated. The doctrine of the apostles, the only true doctrine of the church, illuminates it. And the incarnation of God's Christ defines and gives a focal point to that doctrine. It is for us to determine whether or not whether or not we believe that doctrine, and if we do, to respond to it. There are not three ways, according to the apostle. Like I said before, there's not like God's way, and then demonic way, and then way three. There are not three ways, or four, or five, um, or more. There are only two ways. So as we look at this, there's only two ways that we can live our life. There are only two ways we can react. Only two ways we can walk. The way of the truth, and the way of error. The way of Christ, in the way of antichrist we are called to serve christ and those who are truly of god will do so so the application though it's it's not real specific it's broad we are called to serve christ that's your calling to serve christ and those who are really christ's those who are really of god will do that i'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to worship through song. Um, and then after that song, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. So, um, Cameron can go ahead and come out. And we're going to sing. And then I'll come up for the for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, um, the application for us is, is clear. That as we walk through life and we, we're seeing assurance of salvation, that we're supposed to know... And be able to discern truth. And as we have that. As we have truth. And we conform our lives to the true things that the Bible tells us. We decide to serve you. We decide to live for you. We don't take and pick and choose the things that we want out of your word. We don't take and pick true things or doctrinal things that we like or don't like. What the Bible says is what we believe. And what the Bible says is what we do. And we serve Christ for their whole life. I pray for us all, God, that we'll um, not hear things that we're supposed to do. And as we hear them, just kind of decide whether that's going to meet our needs. Or say, yeah, I'll obey that one, but I won't obey this one. But as we hear things from your word, that we'll obey them. And as we hear truth from your word, that we'll agree. Because it's your word, we're going to believe it. We won't rebel against the things in your word the truth that comes from it. We thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the fact that Jesus came and died for us on our behalf, and that because of him, we can have life. Be with us now as we sing and worship, and as we go into the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate the goodness of Christ. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.